Welcome to a special edition of the ACG Analytics podcast on the policy response to the coronavirus pandemic. The following podcast is a lightly edited version of a policy call we held on March 17th. This is David Metzner, the managing partner of ACG Analytics. Our focus, as many of you know as a firm, is to interpret the intersection of capital markets and public policy. Never has that been more important. Today we will discuss policy response to the coronavirus pandemic. We have been covering the impact of the virus since early February in our weekly macro reports, which will be out again today. Many of our research notes, including our note on the power of the Fed under 13.3, the German and French economic reactions, have been shared with the administration and very well read at, at Treasury in the White House, two institutions that we talk to on a regular basis. I'll be having further conversations with the leadership of the Commerce Department to understand what their macroeconomic thinking is later today. Let me say government shutdown here in Washington is sporadic. There's no system-wide shutdown of the government. I spoke with the leadership of the Federal Housing Finance Agency yesterday. They were all in their offices, although telecommuting on key decisions instead of having meetings. Today's call will focus on two types of government response. One will do with presidential power, emergency powers, the Stafford Act, federalism in Congress, and uh, the second part of, it, of, the, of this talk will, will, will bring you up to date what's going on in Congress and where we're going. That will be led by John East, our director of research, who is really a national authority on presidential power. Next, we will, we will pivot into 13.3, Rob Wagner, one of our senior analysts, help prepare a note that went out a week ago. For those of you that participated in last week's call, you heard us discuss 13.3. That was restricted on, uh, through the Dodd-Frank Act, and we're going to talk about what can the Secretary of the Treasury do, and what does he need Congress for, and what can Jay Powell do. Then we will have our friend Larry McDonald from Bear Traps dissect uh, the, the, what's going on in the markets. Never has it been as impactful uh, since at least the, the 08, 9-11. So, Larry, we look forward to your analysis. And then we will conclude with Bart Oosterveld. Bart joined ACG Analytics from the Atlantic Council. For that, he was with Moody's and led Moody's uh, sovereign risk analysis out of London. We'll get Bart's macroeconomic take. And just as our methodology, we have Meili Wong, our, our head of our, our research concierge, on the phone. You can follow up. If, you, if you're not on our, our written distribution, we have a real-time chat. You can get hourly updates or, or whenever we feel there's something that needs to be shared. We do post uh, key policy uh, announcements on Twitter. At ACG-Analytics, John East, what is the power of the president to declare a national quarantine? There's a lot of rumors of that going around. Does he have that power? Well, the short answer is no. I can identify no federal statute which allows him that power. This is reserved for the state. There is the power in Congress through the Commerce Clause to enact legislation that would do so, but Congress has never done so. However, it may be a moot point in this respect. We never had blackout curtains like they had in Great Britain during the Second World War. But if the president recommends that states and localities adopt certain practices, Many would follow in short order. But no, and at yesterday's press conference, President Trump personally disavowed a national quarantine or other national steps. He didn't cite 
anti-federal power. I'm not sure if he knows the law or not, but no. The short answer is no. That does not mean that governors and mayors trying to one-up one another in preventive measures wouldn't take a cue. John, let's pivot in. The Stafford Act is widely spoken about as a national emergency piece of legislation. What is it and what does it empower the president to do? So, conceptually, one could divide the Stafford Act into two halves, uh, but the two halves are not equal halves. The Stafford Act is really designed to deal with physical emergencies, flood, fires, earthquakes, calamities of that sort. And it gives the federal government the authority to assist states in rebuilding. There's a, a second part of the Stafford Act that it's almost like an afterthought. And it does allow the president to distribute medical supplies and, uh, and food and other emergency supplies to people affected by a declaration of a national emergency. It is not as much used as the bulk of, this, of the rest of the Stafford Act. And, and quite frankly, the Stafford Act has a lot of problems, and it wasn't really designed to address this public health emergency. Does it come when he invokes it? Does it come with extra funding? Is there a source of funding there? Or does Congress have to top it off? Well, the funding the funding that exists uh, emanates from Congress. So right now it looks like there's about $40 billion. I've seen some figures as high as 50, but I think the 50 billion uh, figures are counting the state share. Typically what happens is that 75% of the cost, up to 75% of the cost, are borne by the federal government, and states and localities are supposed to kick in their share of the local aid. That was waived for Puerto Rico after its recent hurricane, and I would expect that that precedent, being so close in time to this, would guide Congress, and Congress might waive the the local assistance. The president can also waive. Okay, John, we're on our second piece. Let's pivot to Congress. Second piece of legislation. Our guests on the phone should know we're expecting more legislation as the week progresses. But the House passed by unanimous consent. There's no opposition. A bill yesterday, late last night, sent it over to the Senate. What's in the bill and what is the process to get that bill passed? So the bill made what people are calling technical corrections. In fact, they changed some of the leave requirements in some some substantial ways in terms of putting a cap on them and directing the source of funds. But it's basically the bill that the House passed on Saturday morning about 1 a.m. If we'd had this call yesterday, we would have been a very I would be telling you something very different than than what transpired over the last 24 hours. So the Senate did something else very critical. The Senate was considering the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and McConnell, he's a master of the process in many ways, managed to get the Senate off that by agreeing to a 77-day extension of FISA with the condition that amendments that certain senators wanted to be considered will be considered by the Senate. And that allowed for unanimous, well, it was a voice vote, but essentially allowed for unanimous consent in the Senate to leave FISA so that they would be ready to receive the House bill. The Senate is also in the midst of considering yet another coronavirus response bill or bills. The president is supposed to release one today, and and he is going to shop that before the Senate Republican Conference. And the Senate Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer, is also going to unveil, if everything happens as scheduled, his assistance bill, which is a very different bill than the president's, 
today as well. And so you're, we're going to move to stage, what I'm calling stage three, of disaster assistance in the summer. Well, we know that Senator Schumer, the minority leader, has a number on his bill of, of roughly $750 billion. And, and, and I take all these estimates with not a grain of salt, salt shaker who salt, but it, but yes, these are very expensive pieces of legislation. Senator Schumer's bill focuses more on unemployment insurance, hospital treatment, affordability of tests, and the White House bill is going to focus more on payroll tax, other economic measures. And we will probably have, as well as assistance to the hospitality industry, airlines, we may also have yet another bill emerge from the Senate Finance Committee, but I suspect strongly that the Senate Finance Committee bill will uh, merge with the White House report. Of course, the Senate Finance Committee uh, handles matters, obviously, taxes, but also trade. Uh, so trade, we will be, taxes, we are, you know, uh, as we've been up on this uh, most of the night, we'll be talking to, to uh, the leadership on the Hill, as well as Treasury, Commerce, and the White House. We'll follow the convoluted steps of the legislative process. Uh, let, let me turn to Rob Wagner, one of our senior analysts. Uh, Rob, which takes the lead for us on, on all matters of housing finance. But really, Rob, I, I got to compliment you. The, the research unit note you did last Wednesday after our call, analyzing the power of the Fed under under thirteen uh, three, that was widely read by by clients. We shared it with Treasury. We know through our through our technology, it was circulated very deeply through Treasury and led to some comments by the by the Secretary over the weekend. So, Rob, what can the Fed? We see the Fed act on Sunday. Very unusual. What can the Fed do on its own? And let's look at two things. We're talking about opening up the discount window, and then versus really what's going to be needed in this economy is access to commercial credit. So, if we can get that's really what thirteen three uh, was, was enacted constraints after Dodd Frank. Tell us about what the powers of the Fed and the Treasury Secretary. Thank you. Yeah. So briefly to review, Dodd-Frank restricts the Fed's powers under Section 13.3 of the Federal Reserve Act. It basically requires any emergency lending to be made in connection with a program or facility with broad-based eligibility, as opposed to aiding a failing financial company or powers that are insolvent. So what the Fed can do on its own, without the consultation of Treasury or Congress or anyone, is essentially emergency lending to its own member banks. What it needs to do in connection with Treasury would be lending to non-banks. So that could be done in connection with a broad-based program, like, say, airlines, which is what Secretary Mnuchin is, is asking for, or also in connection with what Kevin Warsh's op-ed the other day called for, which is a new credit facility to ensure that some businesses and households are protected. So, so Rob, in, in 08, the Fed created what was called the you know, commercial paper funding facility. Former uh, Fed governor, uh, and I encourage people to read it. He was there during this process, spoke about the Fed recreating it, gave it a different name, but the, the Fed, you know, had a program to buy commercial paper from corporate issuers. So my understanding is, is that we know what they can do in, in the banking area, okay, flood it with liquidity, but in order to support the commercial lending market, changes in the law mean that they can still do it. They could establish this program, but they need the okay of the Secretary of the Treasury. That's correct? Uh, so for commercial lending, I believe they may, the Fed may need to – yeah, I believe, I believe that's something that requires a sign-off of the Treasury Secretary. Right. And then the, the real sticky part gets they have to disclose to Congress who they're, who they're buying from. The purpose of this was 
really to prevent, and you have to do it on, on, on it has to be open to all sources, meaning you can't be, pick winners and losers. Like you can't pick a, do AIG and not do another company. And that's what Secretary Mnuchin has asked Congress to loosen those restrictions, which would require legislation, obviously. He said he's considering it, right? I think that was the correct words. Right. He says that it's something he wants Congress to consider and something they're looking at all the options, essentially. Rob, can I ask you a question here? It's Larry McCarroll. Sure. I just... Um, so w one thing clients are talking about is the breadth of spread widening and, say, investment-grade bonds and high yield. And the, bre the breadth of the widening is two standard deviations faster than any credit move in the last, you know, six years. It's in, on par with 08, but it's even faster because the Fed was doing so much, you know, repo and all these gifts five weeks ago, and because the street uh, was ignoring corona, everybody was max long high yield and max long IGs. So the, the spread widening, in other words, the increase in yield, and the, that means the, the decline in bond prices, is, is close to unprecedented, right? So you could have a situation where you need an emergency QE package that in the next three days that doesn't have time to run through Congress. Can Howell and Mnuchin wing this thing and say, fight me out in court if it's an emergency? And, and the is answer that to that, I, I believe it's David, I believe the answer is what we just said. The answer is yes. With more, the, the, Fed, the, the Fed chairman must get the okay from the Treasury Secretary and disclose the details of the program to Congress. Did I miss something there, Rob? No, if I understand Larry's question correctly, he's asking for, so that, that's not relating to the Fed purchasing corporate securities as opposed to U.S. Treasury bonds that go on back mortgage securities. That would require legislation, likely. Or if they did try to do it on its own, it would be a little more dubious. But I believe what Larry's referring to would, would could be done in consultation with Treasury. Yeah, the, the difference is commercial paper is short-term loans, like overnight, maybe you know, some cases a little longer. But you know, QE would be buying you know IBM 10-year bonds or five-year bonds. Yeah, so there's a difference between... CP, commercial paper facility, and QE. And some people feel that the breadth of this widening and the damage that it's done to financial institutions in such a short, short period of time might require uh, an injection of QE. Right. So tre Treasury may not guarantee money market funds without congressional approval, which is which is one barrier I think that Mnuchin would like to, to eliminate. Well, and, and so the money, that's big. That's big. So the money market fund thing that in 08 that they were able to do overnight and FDIC protection – those two things, but we talk about the way that they were able to the bank create bank holding companies for Goldman Sachs. So Goldman Sachs was immediately able to get FDIC be able to issue FDIC insured bonds and uh, the money market funds. So those two instruments right now uh, need congressional approval. But it, but what I'm trying to say is if things got really bad in 48 hours, could you act aggressively in Powell and then then get get approval later? Powell has made a statement in the last 24 hours that he has the power without Congress to do what he has to do. And what we're trying is a very thin line here. The Fed has the power, okay, that you need to, you need to okay from the Treasury Secretary, and they have to follow certain guidelines and, and inform the Congress. They can't pick solo institutions. They'd have to buy commercial paper from everybody, okay, not just pick and choose. That, that's number one, okay? Number two, we had FDIC programs in 08 that guaranteed other forms of SME credit where you could go to your local bank 
they could pro provide you with, with a line of credit, and the FDIC would guarantee that loan, therefore making it uh, marketable and open for, in, for investment. So that, that was a temporary program that was done, the Congress authorized, called TGLP. And uh, the White House is very focused on, they, they understand the battle, and Mnuchin does. We're very lucky, I, you know, to have as Treasury Secretary with such a deep finance background. They understand both the SME challenge to credit, okay, and the larger challenge to, to, to credit, whether it's money market funds or, or large financial institutions. So... I do think we're going to be seeing that as if we're doing a pivot, you know, from public safety, get the kits out, get the data out, get people to modify their behavior, get Congress involved with, with you know, the second round of legislation, there'll be more to come. Um, but we're right at that pivot point, okay? And we know that Mnuchin's comments that he might have to go back was, I believe, was based on our, our piece of research that we wrote last uh, Wednesday, Thursday. And just to finish up, the most important observations over the last 48 hours, one is the amount of negative yielding bonds on the planet Earth during the last risk-off, so last summer, went from like $10 trillion to $17 trillion as the global stock sold off and it was a trade war. $10 trillion to $17. So negative yielding bonds exploded. Everybody, And we were, there were 17 research reports that were written from Wall Street that said that because the baby boomers have so much wealth, and because there's so much capital around the world that there's just an endless demand for bonds and that that rates would permanently be stuck at low levels. Now, in, in the last week, we've now seen a trillion dollars of fiscal stimulus from around the world, and now we're seeing another potential trillion from the U.S. And guess what? The negative yielding bonds on the planet Earth are plummeting. Okay, we've gone from we've gone from 17 trillion to 10, and we were at 14 a couple of weeks ago. Okay, this is historic because the amount of paper that's going to need to be sold, but for the first time, the amount of paper that has to be sold is shifting. It's it's out. There's more paper for sale in the next year. That's what the market's telling you. The 30-year Treasury has gone from 69 basis points to 140. Okay, in the last week, so it's almost doubled in yield even though we're going risk-off in the markets. So risk-off should mean there's a bid for 30 years, but there's not, okay? So something very, very large is happening. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing, on the good news, bank CDS, we're tracking it like a hawk, is much, much tighter than it was in 2008, and it's even, even on par with 2011 levels. So the banks are holding up well, even though corporate credit spreads. This looks like more like a 2002 corporate crisis than a banking crisis. That's very important. Okay. What I'd like to do, you know, and I, yeah, I, I pity the, the retail investors as, as always. I want to ask on that note, Bart, will, you know, we've got a trifecta of economics uh, shock, a collapse of aggregate demand, severe supply shock, and what Larry was talking about, financial market volatility. Can the, can the macro market are there policy tools in Washington to stabilize the market at this point? I, I mean, I, I'm an optimist. I, you know, talk to Treasury, the White House. They understand the challenges. Give us the macroeconomic view on that, please. Yeah, thank you. Uh, there are, but it requires firing from all cylinders. And I think Larry makes very good points about the markets that are that are important. And what we're starting to see is the, the outlines of in the data of, of really a historic slump in, in retail and in industrial output in, in fixed asset investments. And, and you, you've seen this play out in, in China. So the data from there is instructive, and I'll, I'll get to that. 
So you have these factory closures that lead to disruptions in, in global supply chains, negative sentiment, uncertainty leads to delays and cancellation of business investments. Everybody will have seen the New York Fed's Empire State Business Conditions in, uh, Index fall to its lowest level uh, since 2009 yesterday. Very sharp drops in, in shipments and new orders, softening across the board of labor market indicators according uh, that index. So it requires firing on all cylinders. Fed's policies that Rob has talked about, direct spending by fiscal authorities, which you're seeing in, in France and Germany, uh, even in the U.S. Uh, I think the, the, the purchases of oil last week were strategic in that regard. And uh, as the IMF and others have highlighted, it requires some level of global cooperation and moving simultaneously to, uh, to calm markets. Bart, Bart, I mean, do you think the in Europe, I know Bart is, uh, was uh, born in the Netherlands and then uh, anglicized herself by, by working in London. Do you think the, the German response, you know, we shared our, a note with Germany on, you know, uh, the German development bank, KFW, is open uh, for credit lending. France talked about backstopping lending. Do you, do you think uh, Europe uh, is getting a, a unified approach to the crisis? No. You just need significant policy differences within Europe and, and kind of a reduced role of the EU in the both on, on the public health aspects and the economic policy aspects. A lot of countries just going their own way, the way states are doing in the U.S. So I, I, the credit provision measures, I think, are critically important. And we've talked about them on this call, how important it is to keep credit flowing to, to, to companies. When we talk about that and when the financial press talks about that in the U.S. especially, we talk about big companies, the Boeings and, and others needing support. I think where the KFW effort is aimed, where France is aiming its efforts is, you know, the, the restaurants, bars, small hotels, all the small and medium enterprises that will go bankrupt first. Direct lending to them or other supportive measures in terms of delaying tax deadlines and other, other fiscal side measures are going to be critically important to the to the rebound of the economy broadly, since the, they have a disproportionate impact on employment levels. Well, I, I think the the U.S. We, you know we had the G7 call. Uh, I know I'm going to again my call today is. It's going to be an aggressive week, starting with the Senate passing a bill, getting ready for, as we said, a, a compromise bill between a, a third bill uh, between the, the president and, and the Senate Republican. We see a negotiation there. We have a high conviction rate that the Treasury Secretary, along with the, the Chairman Powell at the Fed, understand the, the issues in the credit market. I think there's a difference. Powell feels he has the power. Uh, you know, he would like to have you know, more authority, again, for the FDIC to get back into their guarantee program. We would need something from Congress, but that is more SME. As, as, as Bart just said, we've got to get back to the SME market. We've got to get those credit markets open. We'll look, I want the audience here to look for this pivot from public safety to credit this week. Uh, we'll be working to to understand it more deeply through our our contacts throughout the government. Um, hey, I like to move on. One quick question for you and Bart. There's, an, there's a headline the last couple of days about a trillion dollars IMF package. Could you address that? Is that is that another trillion coming from the IMF and and what what would it take to get that rolling? Yeah, I think that's important. I, where what I've seen the IMF say is we're standing by to help anybody who's constructively working on this. I saw that I've seen the trillion dollar number. I I haven't seen them commit to a trillion dollars a trillion dollars in in lending. Yeah, they're supportive of, of broad-based public health measures, central bank liquidity measures, uh, easing measures, uh, targeted spending. Um, 
very focused on developing economies and you know, supporting measures that, that will support aggregate demand. Uh, so, But I, I haven't seen them commit to a trillion of new lending. Well, the, that's why we're doing this call, because there's a lot of rumors here. And, you know, if you're not in Washington and you, you're, not, you're not talking to people and, and, and helping them think through the challenge, BART is very well sourced with the IMF. Yeah, let me perhaps amplify my comments. The IMF has an aggregate trillion-dollar lending capacity. So whatever comes out of the IMF, it wouldn't be an incremental trillion dollars. They would have to go back to their membership and get a capital raise, like all this other stuff that takes forever. But it, it, it is ready to mobilize, it says, existing lending capacity to help its members. They would have to be asked, and then they could respond to the ask. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. For more updates on the coronavirus pandemic and its effects on capital markets, please subscribe to our coronavirus email live feed and get minute-to-minute updates without waiting for our polished research notes. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at ACG Analytics. And if you wish to reach out, please email research at ACG-Analytics.com. Everyone have a, have a good day. Thank you.